Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. So I just want to go on the record. Troy, I want to thank you for that welcome, but I also want to say this, just in case there's confusion, please don't give us Valentine's Day cards, please. I don't know. Somebody maybe heard that. I, I, I know you did a good job of communicating, but somebody heard that. It's going to get weird in a hurry. I have one Valentine. Her name's Marla. We've been married for 27 years, and she's put up with me for 30. So that's a big deal. Uh, you can do cards. That's fine. But the Valentine's Day cards, it's the thought that counts with those, and let us not uh, make that happen. So, hey, it's so good to be here in week two of our series called Catalyst, and and, you know, just as we're singing that song, O God of Revival, when I was in my seat, I've, I was just drawing back to some things that I've studied in the past and just different revivals that have happened in this country and throughout the world. And I just want to stop for a moment. I know Garrett just prayed. I want to stop and, and pray just for a moment because I believe that God is still a God of revival. Amen? Where are my revival people? Anyone in here a revival person? Anyone like desperate for revival, for God to do something in, in, in our day, in, in our lives, in our city, in our county, in our state? I mean, or is there anybody else who's excited about what it is that God may do if he would just pour out the fullness of his spirit and that we would receive that and do with it what he wants us to do and walk in obedience? Hopefully your heart is like mine, but if it's not, I'm going to pray a prayer and hopefully that God will wake you up so that your heart will truly be like his and that you will welcome revival. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, I just, I do draw back to just in my memory, just the the different revivals that have even happened here in this country. God, when you've poured out your spirit out in California in the Azusa Street revival, God, and there's droves and droves and droves of people who have committed their lives to you and they're living on fire for you. And Father, just remembering the businessmen's revival that happened right after the Civil War in New York City, when there was a group of people who decided that they were just going to pray, and they were going to pray at a specific time of day, and yet you did an amazing work in their lives, and you did an amazing work even in the city center of New York City, as your spirit was poured out on these men and women who chose to lean into you and not lean into their own strength and understanding who got to the end, of their, the end of themselves to say, God, I believe that you're a God of revival. I believe that, that you can and want to do a work in our day and people who have decided and they've asked Jesus to do it in them first. So God, I don't know who the revival people are in this room. I don't know the, the hearts and minds of people in this room, but I know that your dream for them is bigger than what they currently see. God, whether our faith is gigantic or our faith is small, I know that your belief and hope and your plan and purpose in our future is even greater than than the faith, whether it's big or small. So, God, I pray that you would just wake us up to your spirit in this space. Wake us up to what it is that you have for us. And, Lord, I give you full reign. Anything that I have planned to say, God, you can rewrite the script right here in this moment. I only want to say what you want to what you want me to say, and God, I want us to hear what it is that you want us to hear. So move in my heart, move in our hearts. We know and we believe that you are the God of revival, and let it start with us. Amen. Amen. So last week, I I kicked off the series saying this phrase that that the only impossible thing to change in your life is the thing that you what? That you never start. 
That's the only impossible thing to change in your life is the thing that you never start. And I know the reason why that many of us don't start the things or we don't complete the things that maybe we've once started is because we've, we've had some things that have happened to us along the, the, the journey of our life. And we've had people who've hurt us or maybe we've hurt other people. Maybe we've just hurt ourselves. And, and maybe that's led us to a place of heartache to where we've just kind of stumbled along and stumbled along and stumbled along. And the only thing that we can see is our past failure or maybe the, the compilation of our past failures. I also know this, that maybe the reason why that we have not leaned in by faith to believe that God would do something in our day, in our life, is maybe because we're just hung up with maybe something that happened so many years ago. And we've never actually moved beyond that event. I myself have have dealt with trauma in my life. I understand trauma. I don't understand it to the depths that you do. I'm not saying that I do. I'm not saying that I understand your story. But what I do know is this, God does. He knows everything about you. He knows the ins and outs. He knows the good, the bad, and I would say ugly, but you guys look so good today, but he even sees that too, if it's there. And that's just true of God, and I believe that what God has for us today is for us to move forward by his grace that we can become catalyst of our own lives first. The only way that we can become catalysts of our own lives is that we embrace our lives and we take responsibility for what it is that, that we're supposed to do while trusting God to do what only he can do. I don't know about you, but there's many, many times in my life where I've actually tried to step into God's shoes and tried to play God in my life. And let me tell you, that's not happen- when that's happened, it hasn't gone very well. I've, I've taken more steps backward than what I've ever taken forward when I've tried to occupy that divine space. We would be wise if we would lean into God's word and we would lean into the spirit of God and that we would do what it is that God wants us to do. But why is it sometimes that we just simply don't do this? Why is it that, that if I were to ask you one simple question, that many of us would be stumped by this question and we would think, that's it. And the question is this. Why haven't I seen significant change in my life? If we're to really ask that question and and sit long enough for God to give us an answer, I wonder what our lives would turn out to be. I wonder what our finances would turn out to be. I wonder what our relationships would turn out to be. I wonder what our marriages would turn out to be. I wonder how our kids would turn out to be. If we would ask this question... Why haven't I seen significant change in my life? And before we just ask the question and just move on, if we were to sit and ask the question and wait long enough for God to give us the answer. Oh, let us be people who wait long enough for God to give us the answer and for us to walk in obedience and move forward with whatever he leads and guides us to do. You see, catalysts, they need to be brave or they need to be humble enough to let God call the shots, and yet they need to be brave enough to follow his lead. That's the bottom line for this talk, and it's a part of your your sermon notes that you were handed on the way in. That's the bullseye of of this whole series. That's the bullseye of this talk. It's, It's this, catalysts need to be humble enough to let God call the shots, even when we want to to take over, when things aren't going in the way that we want them to. But we need to be humble enough to say, not me, God, only you. I must, in the words of John the Baptist, I must decrease and you must increase. 
And yet, in humility, wait for God to do what he's going to do, but yet brave enough to follow his lead. And the reason why I say brave enough to follow his lead is because when you follow God, it's not always predictable. Amen? It's not. It's not always predictable. Sometimes God will bring you intentionally outside of your comfort zone because that's the place that you need to be for his glory and for your good. And not only for your good, for the people around you, for their good as well. So if I were to ask you that question and we were just sitting having a cup of coffee, have you seen significant change in your life? How would you answer that? And if you would answer it in such a way to say, I have not seen significant change in my life, I wonder what the reasoning would be. I think sometimes when it comes to a walk of faith, we get some things messed up and we, we, we mess things up and we, we mix up the ideas and we think faith is certainty. And faith is not always certainty. Faith is, is sure, it's certain of the, of the distant future, but not the, 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 the near future because we just don't know what God's going to do. I'll tell a story this week. Joe and I were sitting down watching uh, my father-in-law, Joe, we're sitting down watching a television show called Treehouse Masters. Has anyone else seen that show, Treehouse Masters? Has anyone ever realized they're not actually making a treehouse? Anyone realized that so far? It's, it's really not a tree. I mean, I built treehouses when I was a kid, and, you know, you take some rusty nails that you pulled out of wood to drive them into a tree and some, like, I don't know what they're doing, but it's amazing. But I'm watching them construct or, you know, kind of develop and construct this treehouse, and and what, what I was amazed with, amazed with is, again, the lack of trees. But then also, I watched them put a piling, like a really big piling, of which they were going to support this whole treehouse on. And there was multiple of them. But, but they stopped for a moment in the videoing, and they showed this piling, and, and then they were pouring cement into that piling. And I thought, well, now that treehouse is not going anywhere. I, I believe that some of us may be... The reason why we're not going anywhere is because what our expectation is, is the high level of certainty to know how everything's going to work out, and we are spiritually sitting in cement. And while while it makes us feel secure because it's firmly based, but we're not mobile, we're not moving, we're not yielding to God. Instead, we're stuck in spiritual cement. You know, we come from a long line of people who've committed to God who are also stuck in some spiritual cement. I welcome you to go into the Bible, into Ezra 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And you could track in the Old Testament and New Testament, there are people just like us. There are people who had hurts and hang-ups, and people just, they, they were just all over the place. And you know, spiritually, they had spiritual highs and they had spiritual lows. No different than all of us. And yet, when we lean into Ezra 3, we're going to see that now they're occupying the land. But I want us to look at specifically the the first kind of point we're going to drill into once we see this passage is this. What they do first signifies what they think is important. Now, you may be sitting back and saying, well, Pastor, why are we in Ezra 3? Because we we ended at Ezra 1. Some of you are smart. You already picked that up. You did. You're like, whoa, what, what, what do we do here? If you were to go to Ezra 2, there's a list of names. I did not feel inclined to read a list of names to you. 
But if you feel shorted, and we're going to do this throughout the series, we're going to intentionally skip chapters where there's just list of names or things. If you feel shorted, I welcome you to read that this week if you want to. Go back, read Ezra 2, stumble through those names. Go ahead. And, but we're going to go into Ezra 3. And again, as we go through Ezra, we would do this because every once in a while there's a list of names or a list of things or just a particular thing there that we're not going to look at. But if you feel shorted, go back and read it for yourself. I'll kind of point these things out along the way. But first, let's go into verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. You want to maybe underline this. This is going to be important. We're going to come back to this. Then Jeshua, son of Josedach, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses and the man of God. Verse 3. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord as well as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Stop. We're going to see three main ideas that we're going to drill into that, that will be foundational if we're going to be people who... Do what it is that God wants us to do and to be catalyst in our own right. But notice in that, right in the beginning, I, I had asked you if you're somebody who highlights or underlines like I am, the one man. This didn't, by this reference of one man, it didn't mean that they, they all looked the same or they talked the same or they dressed the same or they lived the same. What it meant was their will was the same. Their will, their desire in that moment was one thing. They were unanimous in coming together to accomplish one thing. If you think about it, this is pretty amazing because they're in a land that they had not occupied because for generations they were separated from it. And yet now they're in this new land and the first thing that they wanted to do was to worship. That's the first thing they wanted to do. It wasn't about their homes. It wasn't about preferences. It was about one sacred principle that unites all people of God. Worship. It wasn't about preferences. It was one solitary principle, and that was worship. We could go into the New Testament, which I invite you to do there. Hold your place in Ezra 3. But go to the right in your Bible, into right at the beginning of Acts. We're going to do kind of a flyover of the first 14 verses in Acts chapter 1. And what we're going to see is we're going to see not only in Old Testament, but also New Testament, the same things happening with the people of God. They unite under the banner of worship, and, and we will actually see what it is that God does in the midst 
of their commitment to him and to one another. So Acts 1. You'll get some of the context just in the reading. So we'll start in verse 1 going through verse 14. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So Luke is a historian. He was a doctor. He was also a historian. He writes Acts and Luke. So now he's, he says in his former book, so Luke is making reference to also the Gospel of Luke. So if you're kind of stuck in your Bible reading, you just want to begin in your Bible reading, a great place to start would be start in Luke and then jump over John right into Acts. And you'll see his first and second writings together. Let's continue. Verse 2. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is talking about Jesus, of course. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in, the few day, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you, going, or are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the dates and times. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be, witness, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 8. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Verse 12, we're almost through. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath's walk from the city, about three-quarters of a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they too gathered as one man. And some of your translations, specifically in the, the NASB, the New American Standard Version, this is what it says in verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. With one mind mind us as a, as a local church we need to consider how is it that we gather with one mind what is it that we do gathering with one mind with us knowing that that we're not going to just we're going to choose ahead of time that we're not going to let our preferences divide us instead that we're going to live with one solitary principle and that's worship. How is it that we can do this? Let's go back to our original passage, Ezra 3. 
The people now in, in the land, it says in the seventh month, they're settling in their towns, and the people assembled in Jerusalem as one man. The, the first thing I think that we have to understand for the people of God at the time and also what the gospel offers us is this, a brand new start. It's a brand new start. See, this whole generation, they, they had not lived in Jerusalem and, and in Judah. This was all new to them. This was, this was in somewhat, not exactly, but somewhat like me coming back to Taylorville and driving around some of the towns that I've driven around. It's like, I look around and I'm like, wow, none of this really looks that familiar. I've been gone for so long that I'm seeing things with fresh eyes. Of course, there's a couple little things that look the same, but there's a lot of things that just, they don't look familiar. These people were in unfamiliar territory. They're, they're now in the land that was promised, promised of them centuries before, and they've been given a brand new start. I know this is going to be a little technical, but I want you to know this, that the gospel allows you and I to have a brand new start. For the sake of time, I'm not going to unpack within this passage where he talks about all of these offerings. There's fellowship offerings, and there's guilt offerings, and there's there's burnt offerings, and there's sin offerings, and there's grain offerings, and there's fellowship offerings, there's offerings upon offerings upon offerings. All of those are detailed in the Old Testament, and you could go into Leviticus and, and gives great detail about all of those. And yet the reason why they had all of these offerings was because of sins that they've committed, and some of those offerings were voluntary, and some of those were just simply required. Because they had to have a way of accounting or atoning for their sins. Christians today are not in the same place, and I'm about to tell you why. John 1, verse 14, all these will be on the screen, by the way. You don't need to flip there unless you can flip quickly, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. John 1, verse 14 says this, So the Word became human and made His home among us. The Word being referenced there is Jesus Himself. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, John says, in the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Meaning one of a kind Son. That we've seen this, that Jesus, be, he became human. This is important as we, as we push on in our understanding because Jesus is God. We're going to build upon some ideas here. Jesus is God, and I want you to know this, that God is infinite. It says this in Psalm 90, verse 2. This is not on the screen. Before the mountains were born, or you were brought forth, uh, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, the psalmist says, you are God. So God is infinite. God is also holy. Psalm 111, verse 9. He has paid a full ransom for His people. He has guaranteed His covenant with Him forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name He has. This is a foretelling, a prophecy, actually, about Jesus, the coming King. And yet, where do we sit? 
We have, a, we have a holy and infinite God. And we are not people who are holy and infinite. I know this because the Word of God says this. It says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. That we've all fallen short. That there's no spiritual hierarchy by what we've done or how well we've attended a church service or how much money that we've given or, or how much service that we've added into our community. For all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. He's a holy and infinite God who dwelt among us. We're going to move forward. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin, or the payment due for our sin, is death. But, key word, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So while, while we, are, we are with a debt that we cannot pay because of the sin that, is, that is just keeps us imprisoned and shackled, And yet, at the same time, God, knowing that what we needed at the time, but He is holy and He is infinite, He, God the Father, sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die a death we deserved. That may seem like bad news, but it's actually good news for those who've confessed and repented of our sins, because that means that the sin that shackled us and that bound us to our broken past, now, because of the work of the cross, it gives us a brand new start. 2 Corinthians 5.21 gives us a hopeful message too. God made him, meaning God the Father made him, being Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That we could have a brand new start, that we could have our slate wiped clean, that we could stand before God righteous, not by our own actions and our own deeds, because we've already cleared that. There's, there's no one who's righteous. No, not one. It's what the Word of God says. And yet we can stand righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus. We're going to move a little farther forward. Am I going too fast for you? Are we okay? Take a deep breath. Look at the person next to you. Say, hey, take a deep breath. It's, okay. it's going to be okay. We're going to be here a little while yet. So 1 Peter 2.24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Ah, oh, feels good, doesn't it? It should. And by his wounds, Christians, you have been healed. This, again, is is a hopeful message because that means that there's an opportunity for you no matter where you are in this moment, whether you're you're an unrepentant sinner or you're a, a, a repentant Christian or you're an unrepentant Christian, that God offers you a brand new start. What is it that we should do now? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he said this, He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. A pleasing aroma. Now, drawing back to 
Ezra 3 and all of the sacrifices and the first thing that that they did when they came back. It wasn't to let their, their preferences divide them, but yet they, they joined under one principle. Anyone remember the principle? It was one principle. It was worship. So the first thing they did was they set an altar. And part of these altars was them burning things on the altar that the aroma would then go up to God and that would be pleasing to God. Now let's look again at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 at the back end of that that he loved us. Oh, did he love us? Oh, does he love us? And he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. That the reason why we can have a brand new start is not by something that we've done. We're powerless. But the reason why we can have a brand new start is because what Jesus has done, confessing of our sins, turning away from our, our sinful selves, and turning towards a holy and infinite and loving and compassionate and merciful God. It's a good place for an amen. amen. All right. I had to draw that out of you a little bit, but it's worth it. So as we transition into point number two, I want us to sit on this one quote from one of the best books I've ever read. And I've read a lot of books, but this is one of the most inspiring books I've ever read and one of the most inspiring quotes. Ern McManus said this, following Jesus in the dreams you chase may not protect you from pain and suffering, but it protects you from a meaningless life. So there's a brand new start. And we'll make this as a transition into the next part where I think most of us probably sit. It's also a new start for those who've had a false start. God offers a new start for those who've had a false start. Part of my study, it was, it was kind of interesting to look culturally at some people who, who've maybe had a bunch of false starts. Do you know that, uh, just by, I, I just want to kind of survey the crowd. Who in here has ever heard of the Dyson vacuum cleaners or Dyson products? Raise your hand if you have that. All right, do me a favor. Who in here has a Dyson vacuum cleaner or, or something? It's okay, raise your hand if you have one. Does anyone have one? All right, there's several people who do. They're the wealthy people in the room. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Those jokers are expensive, but no, I'm just kidding. Those things are expensive, but they're fantastic. The person who created that is a guy by the name of Sir James Dyson. Do you know that he failed over 5,000 prototypes before he landed upon one that worked? Five. As a matter of fact, when I did the research, it was 5,126, but who's counting? <laughs> Apparently me. Also, do you know? Anybody in here like some fried chicken? Anyone like fried chicken? Raise your hand. I expect to see more hands here. Thank you for your honesty. I like some fried chicken myself. The Colonel's fried chicken is delicious. It just is. Do you know that, that Colonel Harlan Sanders did not become wealthy, successful in the entrepreneurial space until he was in his 60s? He had multiple failed businesses, and he did not become a franchiser until he was in his 60s. So if you're 50 and you're trying to figure out what it is that you're supposed to do with your life or to figure it out what it is you're supposed to do with the rest of your life, you've got 10 years. Take your time. It's okay. <laughs> you've got 10, 15 years. Just put your feet up, you know, let God inspire you. And no, there's no biscuits in here. I talked to Garrett. Man, you failed me. I told you biscuits. <laughs> These people need biscuits, I said. It's empty, but 
I don't know. You know, every time I reference, every time I reference food when I'm preaching, people flock to that restaurant. I'm not a paid advertiser for, for Kentucky Fried. I just want you to know that. Eat wherever it is that you want to eat, uh, including there if you'd like to. And also, you know, there's so many examples of people culturally who, who have failed, and then we know them by their successes. I'm so glad that spiritually speaking that, that God accounts for us who've had a false start. That there's a, there's a new start for those who've had a false start. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but here's what I, here's what I would guess. I, I would guess this. If I were to ask you, and again, don't raise your hand, but if I were to ask you, have you ever had a false start? You started something and you fell short of it. You committed something to God, but you just didn't follow through. My guess is, if I were to ask you, and you were to be honest, there would be more hands raised for that than there was people who eat fried chicken. All that to say, there's something here for us. Amen? And I want to give you this hope from Proverbs 20, 24, 16, and it says this, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. There's a new start for those who've had a false start. God's grace, I don't know what it is that you've done. I don't know what it is that you've gone through. I don't know what it is that, that you, you're, you're maybe stuck in, in a, a place of, of, of certainty and you can't get out of it because you just don't have the faith to, to overcome that. Here's what I want you to know. God loves you. You're not, you don't have to be stuck where you are. Maybe right now you're on your, your third new start. And, and what's amazing about that verse that we just shared from Proverbs 24 is this. That a righteous man falls, or a righteous man or woman falls seven times, he rises against you. Maybe you're on number three. You've got several more to go. And, and in the Bible, the number seven is the number of perfection. So that number is just saying, keep going. Keep believing. And I want to end on this this morning. Run through fear. Run through fear. The people in verse 3 were going to a place that they had not been. That generation had not, not been there. They're occupying land that they had dreamt about that God promised them. They were an imperfect people who had had so many spiritual ups and downs and ups and downs. And yet, we see something significant right at the beginning of verse 3. It says this, Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening. Despite the fear of the people around them, because remember, there were people who also occupied this land. So now you have a bunch of strangers going into land that God promised them. And, and I, love the, I love the humanity that we see in the Bible. That fear was present with these people. But despite their fear, they moved forward. What I contend to you is this. You and I need to move forward. And any time that there's fear that maybe keeps us cemented 
in a level of certainty or fear that keeps us cemented in a season of doubt or there's fear that keeps us cemented from God's best for us in the next stage of our life, perhaps you need to go back to what we talked about originally, that God gives you a brand new start. To use those verses that we just talked about to remind yourself of what God has already said about you, that you're forgiven that you're loved, knowing that he's good, and that his mercy is, is so overwhelmingly amazing, running out of adjectives, but it just is. And by faith, and only by faith, can we run through fear. I asked Garrett and the band to help us today to finish off this this time of worship together, which is declaring a, a song back to God. But while they get settled, I would ask that you stand with me. Even in this moment to prepare your heart for what it is that God has for you. And while they're settling up on stage and doing whatever it is that musicians do, because I'm not one of them. I, I want you to know that there's there's somebody right here who has already dealt with a level of fear, and I'm talking about Katie. And last week, Katie got baptized. She came really close to getting baptized twice. I don't know if you noticed that. Yes, please clap for Katie. That was amazing. And Katie got saved. She has already gone through the Discover Calvary class. It's one of the requirements for membership. And of course, baptism happened last week. And what I have in my hot little hands right here is Katie's desire to be a member of Calvary Baptist Church. Could we just welcome Katie into the members? Come up here, Katie. Come up here. Let, let the people see you. There you go. Give her another round of applause, please. We love you. We're so thankful that God is has spurred you to make this decision so that you can have your own bout with running through fear. And now you can give that as a testimony. Anytime that somebody else comes around you and you see them responding in fear, you can go back to say, you know what? I was very much afraid of being baptized, but God brought you through. And now you can inspire faith in them by letting them know that they can get through by His grace. We love you. So thankful for your, your commitment and your decision for membership here at Calvary. Thank you. Let's pray together, and here's, here's what I, I want you to know is, is after I'm done praying, we're going to sing, but if you need to respond by coming to the front, come to the front. Um, we're not stuck in the mud here, so if you just want to be in where you are and just respond with your own worship to God collectively, that's fine too. But, but just in case you wondered, there's no wall here that keeps you from the front. There's, there's no wall. There's whatever it is that God wants you to do. We're not trying to manipulate you, but we do know that when, when people step forward publicly to, to commit themselves, make a decision to do something for God or with God, there's an incredible thing that happens with the community rallies around that person. They pray for that person. They contend with that person and encourage that person to move forward. So you respond in the way that you see fit. Let us pray together first. Lord, we just thank you so much for the ability for us to, to run through fear. 
And God, these aren't just words. This isn't just something that we say to occupy space or to fill in blanks on a page. God, this is something we need. We need you to inspire us with the faith to believe that we can run through fear. That we can keep moving forward even if it's just inching along moving forward in seasons of uncertainty. Lord, I know that that you want to do something in this room. So we just open it up to you. You are the God of revival. You're the God who invites us into relationship with you. And we thank you and we praise you for it. And also, Jesus, we're so thankful that we are no longer slaves to fear.